Beyond Risk, a podcast series from the Canadian Institute of Actuaries. I'm Jill Harper, Vice Chair of Communications on the Research Council. In this episode, we will be talking about a recent study jointly published by the Canadian Institute of Actuaries and the Society of Actuaries entitled The Use of Predictive Analytics in the Canadian Life Insurance Industry. You can find this study along with other CIA research by going to www.cia-ica.ca and navigating to the research tab at the top, then selecting research projects. To help explore this study on predictive analytics, I have two of the study's authors here today, Jean-Yves Rieu and Arthur De Silva, who are both actuaries in Deloitte's actuarial rewards and analytics practice area. Jean-Yves is also the chair of the CIA's Predictive Modeling Committee. Welcome, and thank you both for joining us. Thank you very much. Thanks for having us. So let's get right into the research project. In this project, you surveyed Canadian life insurers to learn how they use predictive analytics. What were the major trends impacting how analytic efforts proceed today? Yeah, there's a few things that people should bear in mind in terms of what will influence the work in the analytics field, like uh, what what it uh, influences it now and what how it will influence in the future. Uh, Increasing privacy regulations, uh, transparency requirement, as well as the 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 related ethics dilemma, uh, is at the forefront. People don't want to do things that they shouldn't be doing and that they can get in trouble for later on. Another thing is the blurring line between automation and modeling is becoming really, really thin. Uh, Like more and more, you have models that are actually self-calibrating themselves and you need to go, uh, there's uh, processes around this to be able to recalibrate the model. Uh, Another thing is the move to use of more cognitive aspects such as interpretation of images or even detection of uh, sentiment in the voice. Uh, these are things that are getting implemented into analytics modeling more and more. And another thing that cannot downplay the importance of is the focus on customer experience. People want things that are fast and easy to process, and that has to influence how we deliver products and how we, we develop applications for analytics as well. Okay, so I can see some value there, but I also know that some insurers are waiting a little bit. What barriers or challenges do you think are holding insurers back from making use of predictive analytics? Uh, There there are tons of barriers that were identified by a a number of people in the survey. And, you know, one one of the biggest things right now is just various issues on the data going into the models. And this could be ranging from the data and format and quality uh, itself, but also challenges accessing the data, particularly in large organizations, which may have a lot of different systems from various uh, legacy systems. Other challenges include some difficulty sorting through potential legal and privacy restrictions that are still emerging at the moment surrounding predictive analytics. Also, there is, in some organizations, a general lack of centralization of the analytics functions. So there may be pockets of uh, people doing analytics throughout an organization, which isn't coordinated throughout these companies. Also, there is a general lack of expertise and resources available, and in particular, expertise and resources that understand all of the required skills required from a predictive analytics practitioner, that being both the um, all of the technical modeling, the, the business side, and also how to communicate effectively. And lastly, there are many challenges within just throughout the management and organization, such as a lack of education within senior management 
or throughout the organization of predictive analytics, a lack of buy-in and prioritization versus other projects that are going on. And for example, some companies are still struggling to identify business applications that work for them. And others are having a lot of difficulties or some difficulties in demonstrating uh, the appropriate ROI to senior management due to the early stages of predictive analytics and just the, the, the general lack of ability to prove that these analytics projects are producing value in a measurable way at, at the current stage. A lot of these challenges that we have had identified by the survey participants are some of the same reasons why analytics was not placed as a top priority for several organizations in the survey. Okay, that makes sense. A few of those things that you just mentioned had me thinking of governance. That makes me wonder, what type of governance did you find that companies have put into place around their analytics processes? You know, that's a great question um, because predictive analytics in general is a very nascent field, particularly within the life and health space. So while some companies have put into place various governance surrounding the predictive analytics process, some other companies are quite early in this stage. And some may have some policies from the general organization that applied predictive analytics. And I'll highlight some examples. For example, we split up governance policies into three categories, one on data, one on modeling activities, and another category on software and technology. So on the data side, there's a very high emphasis on data privacy and security. And this is a natural result of uh, data being handled, very sensitive data being handled by the, the writers and the reinsurers in the survey with the high risk of financial and legal ramifications should this sensitive information be exposed. On the flip side, there's a bit of less emphasis on governance and policies that can assist with predictive modeling, such as formal policies around data standardization producing data dictionaries, and also data change management policies. On the modeling side, we had about two-thirds of the companies having policies for predictive modeling activities. And surprisingly, one-third had policies surrounding evaluation of the metrics of performance of models. And for us, this was a little bit surprising here because this is something that is quite key in terms of evaluating what is a good model and what is not and understanding and having a policy around determining what model has good predictive power and what doesn't is we, we thought key to the process. And then lastly, on policies surrounding software and technology, there's generally speaking uh, less governance in place for this category compared to the data and the actual modeling process. And one hypothesis for why this might be the case is not just because the analytics function is quite new, but also because companies are shifting towards more more open source software compared to what they had used in the past, which are closed source software. Open source software, for example, being R and Python, being commonly used by survey participants. Uh, and one thing we, we highlighted that companies may not be considering from this is that they may need to think about special considerations with respect to user written packages that might be used in the analytics process, some of which may not be as tested as rigorously or even appropriately as may be required in the future. What do you think companies need to think about as their models become more mature and are used more broadly across the organization? Right now, as I said, the, the, the models are still quite new and not necessarily in many cases, not in production. So one of the things that companies may want to think about is a parallel to their model validation processes that they use for the current models today. And some examples might be including 
does the model work as they think it is intended to work? You know, is the data going in and coming out, you know, as expected? What are potential issues between the data in the model that's being used to train the model versus how it is applied in a real setting? And what are the potential implications of be it legal or public social response to people finding out what type of data is being used in the model? And lastly, how does an, an external parties, let's say an external auditor, get comfort over the models being used. So I, at this point, the companies aren't quite at the stage where they necessarily have started thinking about these things. But once more and more of these models get put into production, I think these are very important things that companies do think about. Yeah, definitely. A lot of moving parts there. So you mentioned expertise. How hard is it to find this kind of expertise in the industry? Uh, well, the general consensus is that it's you know moderately uh, to very difficult to find the right talent for predictive modeling. Uh, but in in general, it's it's observed that it's been slightly easier for larger sized uh, companies to hire than small size companies, and it's just probably just a matter of being able to attract um, attract more talent. So I think what I would say on that question is that actuaries have the proper skill set to do that type of things because they know the processes a lot. So companies have said that in terms of the type of people involved in analytics, there's a large percentage of that, proportion of that that is actuaries with business knowledge. Larger companies have no difficulties finding very uh, specialized resources in analytics, whereby smaller companies have more difficulties. At the end of the day, I think that it, it, there was a consensus that it's difficult to find a person with the exact right qualifications, which is a mix of... Uh, business knowledge, analytics knowledge, and as well a good communicator because these things need to be communicated to executives. So idea, this is what the challenge is, is the, to find the right person. But there's probably a way to go and hire different people that complements one another in a, in a team at this time. Okay, so switching gears a little bit, I'm curious, what main applications of predictive analytic techniques did you find among Canadian life insurers? Yeah, I'll take that question. Basically, that was the core of the study. So it will not be possible within a few minutes to uh, do it justice. So I encourage people to go and uh, get the full report to get more details. But we collected information on what people are currently doing. And we also probed in terms of, is it easy to do? And what was the perceived value for those? So that, that allowed us to really rank the things. The things that really came up as a priority in the priority list, as things that had the most value for the amount of effort uh, required were things like simplified underwriting. So we're talking here about a process that will streamline either the time or the efforts or the energy of issuing policies, uh, underwriting the policies. It can be uh, 10 questions and the issue of the product. It can be something slightly different, but it's basically bringing to a newer platform, more enhanced platform, the underwriting process. Another thing that was identified as fairly high was fraud detection like fraud is top of mind what is said now in the industry is that there's like there's really two types of fraud one which is 
claims fraud and the other one which is sales fraud like sales fraud could be false withdrawals from clients or false deposits from clients made by agents or things like this so it looks like based on other even other studies uh, the latter is more prominent the sales fraud in, in North America but I know that fraud is at the forefront of Canadian insurers as well like in terms of priorities and they're thinking about it uh, and they're doing it they're starting to do it uh, another thing is targeted marketing and we can group with this new customer segmentation so anything that likely would have purchased propensity to uh, buy the, the product and like basically identifying people to contact to try to offer insurance to uh, is quite important and the third one which is in the high priority list is uh, retention management so that's like given your current customers basically looking at their profiles and, and looking at their likelihood of basically surrendering the products and basically managing this accordingly if you want to keep them then you you have specific initiatives for that as a second layer there's a quite a few other applications and the next level of priority would include cross-selling upselling refining the process the pricing process as well as bringing the experience study into this generation of modeling like because it's so easy to bring this data rich process and use it for analytics people have been doing it for laps but more and more for mortality as well and the last one in this middle category of things that people are doing that is very prominent is claims management optimization as well okay and what about the future where do you see this going so as we see when we look at the current applications we see that people are moving into expert study so all of the processes where it's data rich people are moving into expert study bringing to that new platform uh, all of the sales process where you're trying to understand what people will buy everything in terms of risk characteristics of your current and force as well these are really the thrust of what we're trying to do because many actuaries have been doing traditional analysis cutting at tables like by let's say by face amount first and then for specific amounts of deposits was the behavior of clients like analytics will capture that across many dimensions so i think going forward we're going to see more and more of those traditional analysis now being done using analytics and ported to the analytics modeling. So experience studies and the sales, like uh, usually the low-hanging fruits are things that either reduce costs or uh, increase revenues, either by increasing sales or by being more efficient in doing things. Fabulous, well, lots to look forward to in this space for sure. Thank you both for taking your time to share your insights with us today. Thank you. Thank you. There's a lot to learn from this research report, and we barely scratched the surface today. So if you do want to learn more about this study or about any other CIA research project, again, visit our website, www.cia-ica.ca, and select the research tab at the top. Within this tab, you can also find a link to share your research ideas or comments. My name is Jill Harper, and thank you for tuning in to this episode of Seeing Beyond Risk.